Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for June 30th is 2 Chronicles chapters 19 through 23. Remember yesterday how we read about Jehoshaphat was a good king, and yet he partnered with Ahab and became a son-in-law to Ahab and went out to war with Ahab, and Ahab betrayed him and almost got him killed? Well, now he's on his way back, it says in 19, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned home and he was confronted by Jehu. And Jehu says, do you help the wicked and love those who hate Yahweh? Because of this, Yahweh's wrath is on you. We invite the wrath of God when we enter into unholy alliances. It's very important. It's one of the first principles of the kingdom of God. When you get saved, when you become a believer, you need to change some things. You can't keep doing the same things and hanging out with the same people that you did in your BC days, your before Christ days. But Jehoshaphat took that to heart and he got back on the stick and started doing the things he had done before. And he went around instituting reform all around Judah. And then he commanded the Levites that he was sending around in verse 9, in the fear of Yahweh with integrity and wholeheartedly, you're to do the following. He said, you're to warn the people so that they will not incur guilt before Yahweh, and wrath will not come on you and your brothers. In other words, if you don't warn the people, you'll get the wrath. But if you do warn the people, you'll be innocent, and then it's up to them whether or not they want to respond to God. He says, do this, and you will not incur guilt. We as Christians, we need to be a voice of reason and logic and righteousness And then, in chapter 20, we read about the Moabites, the Ammonites, and and some other tribes that are coming up to fight against Jehoshaphat. And he's afraid. What do you do when you're afraid? Jehoshaphat resolved to seek Yahweh. And then he proclaimed a fast for all of the people in the land. And they gathered together to seek Yahweh together. They came from all the cities of Judah to seek God. That's exactly what we should do, right? To stop and to listen. Now, fasting doesn't necessarily get God to move. You know, if you begin a fast in order to get something from God, you're probably doing it wrong. And many of us have been taught that that's what we do. We want to see a massive move of God. We need to fast in order to get God to do something new or something powerful. But the fast actually works in the reverse way. It's to get us to do something new. It's to get us to do something powerful. We starve the flesh so that the spirit inside of us can come more alive and we can more accurately hear God. 
Religion would say we have to act and do certain things to get God to move. We either earn or keep God's favor by doing certain things. That's religion. And God hates religion. We're told in Isaiah, even our righteous acts are like filthy rags before him. There's nothing we can do to earn his favor. He is unapproachable except for and by his grace. And so it's only by his grace and faith in his goodness that we can approach him. But because of the blood shed for us by Jesus Christ, we have his righteousness. And so we can boldly go, but again, it's by faith. We can't go and say, oh, look at how bold I'm being, God. I earned your favor because of fill in the blank. No, it's because of his kindness. And so we're not fasting in order to get God to move. We're fasting so we can move ourselves closer to God. And there's a beautiful teaching on spiritual warfare in chapter 20. And I'd just like to focus the rest of our time today specifically on chapter 20 because there are so many great lessons and spiritual warfare is just so important. It's crucial to our lives. When the enemy attacks us, the first thing we should do is to seek God's face like Jehoshaphat did. If more than one person, like if, if it's an attack apparently on even on our family or on our church or on our land, we should gather together with all of the believers who are affected like Jehoshaphat did. And I love in verse 13 how it says, All Judah was standing before Yahweh with their dependents, their wives and their children. So collectively, the people were coming together. And then in verse 18, it says, Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before Yahweh to worship him. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise Yahweh, God of Israel, shouting loudly. It's not a cliche when you hear it said that your praise is your weapon. Or the song, this is how I fight my battles by worshiping. It is not a cliche. It's actually literally true. Our spiritual battles are fought by worshiping God, by fasting, denying ourselves, drawing near to him. In verse 20, he says, believe in Yahweh your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. So we fight it with faith. We go by faith. And in verse 22, this is how I know that this isn't a cliche. They're worshiping, they're shouting God's praises. They're declaring his goodness. They're encouraging one another to believe in the promises of God. Remember how God provided. Remember, and they're shouting his praises. Verse 22 says, The moment they began their shouts and praises, Yahweh set an ambush against their enemies. 
The moment they began their shouts and praises, Yahweh set an ambush against their enemies. And how was it that the enemy was defeated? When you read it, you'll see that they turned on one another. The enemy devoured itself. They divided into factions and attacked one another, and not one of them was left alive. Praise, authentic praise, confuses the enemy. And the enemy cannot stand when we worship God in spirit and in truth. I think it's a little sad, though, when it's continuing to talking about Jehoshaphat's reign. In verse 33, it says, The high places were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts on the God of their ancestors. So he walked in the ways of a righteous king, but he didn't go all the way. And I wonder, how would this story be different if he had? How would Jehoshaphat's legacy be different if there had been no compromise, if he hadn't partnered with Ahab, if he hadn't married one of Ahab's daughters, if he hadn't made himself a son-in-law to that wicked king, I wonder how it could have gone differently for him. My friends, let us be like Jehoshaphat, only better learning from his example, engaging in spiritual battle, shouting praises to the Most High God, and watching the enemy turn on itself for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. We'll see you tomorrow.